Welcome to Soul Unexpected with Adeline Bird, where each week we chat with an interesting and inspiring guest with a different message on how you can discover what it means to have soul. Of course, unexpectedly. Hi, I'm Adeline and welcome to Soul Unexpected. How is everybody doing? So if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button, download, and if you know somebody who can benefit from this particular podcast or any of the podcast, share the goodness with your friends. Why? Because sharing is caring. Soul Unexpected is a interview series that features movers and shakers with an interesting and inspiring story for that from anything, from everything and anything that we experience as humans, because as we all know, we're all trying to figure this thing we call life out. Um, so we talk about everything from relationships, sex, politics, food, entertainment, personal development, creativity, you name it, we talk about it here on Soul Unexpected. And today I am sitting here with the fierce and fabulous Sadie Phoenix Lavoie, <laughs> um, activist, uh, community advocate, and one of the creators and founders of Red Rising Magazine. Um, we are going to be chatting everything and anything. I just kind of wanted this particular uh, interview to just go wherever it goes. <laughs> so sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. <laughs> good stuff. So tell our listeners about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I am 24, turning 25, uh, originally from Saging First Nation, uh, located in Treaty 1 in Manitoba. Um, it's about an hour and a half northeast of Winnipeg, um, and I've been living in Winnipeg since I was like 15. And yeah, uh, I currently graduated from the University of Winnipeg, uh, taking a Bachelor of Arts in Indigenous Studies and Political Science. Nice. So uh, you are one of the creators of Red Rising. Can you mm -hmm. tell our listeners about Red Rising and how you all decided we're going to do this? Mm -hmm. So Red Rising started a few years back and it was after a Water Wednesday event that Michael Champagne had put on with Aboriginal Youth Opportunities. And a big group of us, I think there was about eight of us, um, usually after a community event, we would like to like debrief or decompress and um, just chat and hang out. So we went to Stella's on Portage and uh, I don't know, the conversation started going towards media and our interactions with media. Um, each one of us pretty much had a story about, you know, one of those bad interviews that you have or a really bad article that you didn't know that it was going to come out that way or um, that you were upset that it was completely botched and like the good parts were left out and um, you know I had shared my story with um, a news outlet in Winnipeg where they chopped up my quotes and like kind of mushed it together to like kind of serve this different type of um, narrative. narrative exactly and I was like oh this is this piece of it was totally out of context and um, so what we realized was that, you know, we need to be taking care, we need to be taking charge of our own narrative. We need to be talking about who we really are as Indigenous peoples, what our stories are, things that we want to talk about, and things that aren't just, um, you know, going to get that, like, 10-second bit on on the news. You know, we really want to talk about stuff that 
you know, we care about and that impacts us and have the ability to say it uncensored, unfiltered, and to support young people in that process. Um, because there is like that, you know, that whole, our whole generation of young people that are finding our voices and are starting to speak up more. And, you know, we wanted a platform for them to, to do that and also to show that they're being heard. So, um, we had figured like, oh, we'll just, we'll try it out first magazine. We'll see what happens. Trying to get like a community response. And, um, we were kind of still figuring out our structure of like how this would all work. None of us had any idea how to put a magazine together. Um, none of us had any experience other than like just a bunch of compilation of skills that we all had and, you know, offered that. So, um, we did our first, uh, our first magazine which uh, was talking about like, you know, the rising generation. Um, a lot of us, a lot of us in the, in the start shared our own stories um, just to kind of get more buzz around it and people trying to, to see what the potential was. And um, we also reached out to people that were on Facebook making really rad Facebook posts and we're like, yo, you should write something and you know, 500 words, 750 words and see what, see what comes out. Um, so it was really exciting to do that and we put it together um, and we launched it at a community event uh, at the maybe at the bell tower um, I mean we also piggybacked on Wild Canoe's book launch that was there and I think Cindy Clausen was also there so we're like oh we know this is so many people are going to be there <laughs> um, so we just like opened up a box and just started handing them out and uh we were like, what's this? What's this? And like, um, seeing how people were very excited to see familiar faces, um, things that we're talking about within the community and, um, you trying to, trying to generate that buzz and you can definitely see that. And so everyone really got excited with the next one and we just kind of kicked off and we were out at eight issues plus an education issue for teachers, um, three years later. Beautiful. And so what are some of the, 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 the challenges that you all experience with developing the, the magazine? Well, we try to um, we try to stay on top of current issues. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into developing a magazine with you know the fact that we're all pretty much volunteer. and so it's working within our own available hours and um trying to yeah pump out as many as we possibly can in their own capacities um that has been you know a joy but also like a learning curve and trying to make sure like we have a like a timeline that we work with um so before like we would pump out an issue every like few months to two months or now we're like, okay, let's just stick to like two issues a year because then we'll be able to, you know, dedicate more time and, and invest more into one particular issue, which is what we did with the last one, which was the language issue. And we uh, made it like a double issue. So instead of 50 pages, it's 100. And there's a lot more work that went into it. And we had more people submitting and really making sure that it grows in that way. Mm -hmm. Um there's indigenous and non-indigenous folks in the collective um and i wouldn't see that that was like an issue or or anything it was more like a benefit because we were able to um have really 
insightful conversations with each other on like what what is allyship, what is indigenous leadership look like, um, how do we work together, how do we support each other um, when someone's capacity isn't like people are tired and you know there's a billion things going on in every one of our lives and so just trying to figure those things out, um, especially when something like the Tina Fontaine verdict happens, yeah. that could totally just shift. For sure. The energy of whatever it is. That... And it did. It, it really did. So um, ultimately, the foundation is that a lot of us are all friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we acknowledge the the things that we all go through and that we're dealing with. And so we don't apply that pressure and be like, no, 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 like you have to do this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, if you're, if you're going through something like... We have multiple people who are who've learned new skills within the group that can take it on. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of the times it's bouncing around. So I always felt like I didn't really have a role. Like it was just like I help out with this, I help out with that, I do these things, and like if people need me, I can do that. So it's like really, um, the our leadership styles is very different. It's kind of like uh, I think originally coined from Michael Champagne and then later Kevin picked it up but it was like the rotational leadership where it was like a wheel where one person will be kind of like rolling the wheel around mm-hmm. and then it kind of shifts on to another, another person, person. That, that does it and so we kind of do that so we're, it's a way of supporting each other we try to do things on consensus basis um, we we try to um, understand indigenous organization structure in a way where um like we want everyone to have a say we make sure that everyone is heard and we like try to resolve conflicts um in that kind of manner where we compromise in a way that everyone feels comfortable moving forward Mm -hmm. um so that there isn't these kind of like building up uh conflicts that can come up or arise later on um we acknowledge and appreciate a lot of the work that everyone does in the group so just trying to make sure that it's a healthy environment for everyone. Um, and a lot of us, like, are, you know, trying to make it our dream job. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, a lot of us have very are very passionate about certain things. And, yeah. you know, we're just making sure that everyone gets what they want uh, out of it. Because, really, it's it's not just one person's project. It's all of ours. It's the communities, like, being very attentive to what everyone wants and what they expect from us and mm-hmm. um, making sure that, you know, we don't burn ourselves out in the process. You mentioned that you want to eventually make this a full-time thing for everybody, everybody involved. Uh, where do you, where do you, what does that look like? And, and where do you see Red Rising going in the next five to 10 years? I mean, right now, um, I do see it moving forward uh, and growing to like the media aspect of things I know Leonard has talked about doing a podcast and um, Kevin has talked about doing stuff around music and and advancing our website to support both of those things so we're kind of trying to reconstruct our website right now so that's why we don't have it up Um, obviously the magazine is still the magazine because that's just our foundation it's our roots Mm -hmm. We have the education aspect of it, so we have teachers in our group that are working on unit plans, lesson plans, um, you know, trying to change or trying to translate some of our issues into French. So French schools have access to Red Rising. Oh wow! Yeah, so there's a lot of like good things that are happening in that aspect. 
um, in terms of like where we see ourselves five, ten years. Like, I'd really hope that we were in a place where, in financially, that we can start paying our contributors, um, we can start paying people within the collective, and actually ha- build it up as an organization, um, and you know, really push our narrative out there in the media world. And you know, we always talked from the very beginning that we we're wanting to do this multimedia takeover. Um, so yeah, I love it. So I, I see it as that, like, and there's a lot of steps that need to happen before then. And, um, you know, if other people, we want to obviously grow people within the collective. So if people are interested in learning new skills and, um, you know, getting their hands dirty and, uh, diving right in and, uh, making it all that it wants to be like, you know, we're always open to that. We've added new collective members all the time. Um, but yeah, I think right now that's kind of where we want to move forward is kind of broadening our bases, um, setting up distribution spots in different cities, um, being more accessible to people, communities up north. We've talked about doing a northern tour. Um, there's a lot of ideas and right now it's just like we're, we're sitting on this, you know, funding issue Mm. where it's like, okay, what's the best way that we can stay and remain how we are structured and how we're comprised up. But as an organization, what does that look like in terms of like boards and all that fancy stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, a structure that's like suiting for us. Yeah. So we've done different retreats and uh, workshops and stuff with people teaching us um, how to incorporate um, into that. Um, but yeah. So, uh, we have a, a mutual sister friend, Tasha Spillett, who um, was it this was her first sub, this first summer for the Red Rising Freedom yeah. School. Yeah, um, I haven't had the chance to even talk to her about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you were around for all yeah. for all of that. So, what was that like? It was really exciting. Um, you know, Tasha had come to us I think a year before, like last year, and was like, "I have this idea. We need to do this Red Rising Freedom School." Um, maybe land-based education, all these like young kids, and um, we can talk about all these different things that we, we want to talk about. Like we don't have to worry about the curriculum and having to stick within stuff. And um, we really got excited because uh, I think at the time me and Kevin were still in UWSA and um, we were meddling with the idea around indigenization of you know western schools or Mm -hmm. university and stuff and like how does this fit like how do our pedagogies fit within this because it we're struggling to find that um whereas like let's find a new structure where we teach our own kids in our own ways and our epistemologies and our pedagogy so tasha had been like working on this for for quite some time and they're doing it on their phd um and so we wanted to support that. So we partnered together and we applied for a grant and we just got approved and everyone was just like the ball was rolling and everything was just happening, being put into place. And then when it actually did happen, you know, you could see that like the kids were very excited. They're, um, you know, opening up and they're asking so many questions and having the, so much fun. Um, you know, it was like a really safe space for like, actual learning mm-hmm. um, which I found was uh, something I wish I had when I was younger mm. and um, you know I, I wanted to be right up in there like one of those kids <laughs> like, let's learn together <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was really nice I really I really enjoyed it and um, 
you know, Tesh has talked about, you know, expanding it into um, on the weekends during the school year for older, older youth and mm. kind of tailor it for, you know, different audiences or different, different groups of, of youth. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's really great and I'm super excited to see what will come out, out of all of it. And I really love, because um, I, I, I seen a post today that she is doing a, there's one part where you're, you all are planning on teaching kids about their rights, mm-hmm. which is major yes. in this Trump era that we exist in right now. For sure. Um, so why, why is that so important? Well, I mean, we all shouldn't be well equipped on like what, what rights we, we, we do have and therefore being able to acknowledge when rights are being infringed um, and to feel confident in what you know about who you really are. Like our rights are part of our identity as well. Um, And as we're forming our identities and understanding who we are at a younger age, um, the level of confidence that they have in in the way that they walk in in this world, um, they know what they have and they know where they come from. They know... Um, what their ancestors had fought for and that to not feel shamed for for having that mm-hmm. or to have that background um, you'd be like no you are fully deserving of these um, and you know it's building their basis to understand like okay so this is what we are deserving um, these are the rights that we have this is and and then you walk into the world and you see that it's not being completely reflected and it gives them the ability to understand what's right and wrong in terms of what they are deserving of Mm -hmm. um to push for that justice Mm -hmm. for the collective Mm -hmm. um and then finding out the reward is you know them and their lives and their children lives will also be taken care of Mm -hmm. um you know, like that's when I found out what rights that we have as Indigenous peoples in university. Like, I wish I had that like long time ago, because um, then I wouldn't be having to deal with this whole process of healing and yeah. and identity and all this yeah. other stuff at a later age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm just starting to fulfill my potential now versus if I f- were starting in that process of doing that at a younger age yeah you know yeah. we could become a like a lot stronger youth base right um our voices would be extremely loud and they're needed they're crucial to, they're crucial to the vision of where we need to be mm-hmm. um you know a lot of them a lot of people can see like oh these are the things that we need these are the things that we need but then it's like okay well what is it that who we are and what is it that uh who are we meant to be um, and figuring out that vision of, you know, not just being stagnant in terms of survival and and fighting for the basics, our rights, mm-hmm. to what does those rights take us and how do we grow with them? Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. Because I feel like that's like the, the key, right, is, is to be able to grow with those rights. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you said about... Um, being able to f- go on that healing journey at a, at a younger age. That's something I wish I, I would have had. And there was a moment there where I was like, what, like, why, what is going on with my family that we're not attending ceremony to- together and that we're not going to powwow? Well, I mean, now we go to powwow together, but you know, maybe about 
four or five years ago, we weren't doing those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And to learn about the treaties, about all the things that were going on and actually take a second look, look at things. Because I mean, it's, it's one thing to be told something when you're younger, but it's another to actually go and take a look at how these things are structured and what does that mean to you mm-hmm. and then what does that mean to your family and then your community and you're like holy crap actually this is all messed up but I'm actually way more powerful than what society is telling me I am mm-hmm. and I have exactly. way more rights than what the society tells me that I have exactly because it can be really limiting yes um, especially when people think like uh they're not as important. Some mm-hmm. rights are not as important as others. Mm-hmm. And that there can be clashes there. And like, um, but then there's like the, the rights of conditions of life. Um, and what does that really mean mm-hmm. um, for all of us and not just for, you know, one aspect of society? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that these other rights that we have that are fought for and negotiated, um, you know, they are our basis for, you know, conditions of life. But also, um, we are fully deserving of, of all of that. And to say that um, we should be fighting for attention for rights is ridiculous, in my mind. Yeah. Um, even even this idea of you're an activist. It's, like, it's yeah. Like, why do I have to be an activist in order to... You know, like want good things for my community. <laughs> you're also like, like the whole uh, right for freedom speech, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. But if your speech is like disregarding my rights as an indigenous person, like, um, where do we come to terms in that? Yes, yes. You know, so really trying to get people to understand what those rights are. Um, how those rights came to be, mm-hmm. um, some of the issues that still arise despite rights, mm-hmm. um, because then you're obviously like racism and systemic oppression and colonialism and all those things are still ongoing and they're still happening despite having those rights. So, um, which also undermines the rights that we have yeah. that aren't being implemented. Yeah. So it's like one thing to have rights, but it's another thing to have it implemented. So, um, trying to figure out um, what is necessary um, or what needs to be happened now mm-hmm. and figuring out kind of a step-by-step process that builds up our communities on top of addressing society. Yes, and being uh, being very aware of when certain governments want to take away certain rights or policies. I was mm-hmm. reading our, the Reconciliation Manifesto by Arthur, Arthur Manuel. Arthur Manuel, yeah. And um, that was one of the things that he that he stressed is like don't you know just because you're being told one thing mm-hmm. you can't forget that there is this possibility that things could be changed that we can be you know distracted our minds can be somewhere else yeah. um, focus on something else and yet our current government is is doing something shady. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should never settle for like the basic. The basic, the exactly, exactly. Like when I think about UNDRIP, um, and that there's a clause in there where this is the basic minimum recognition of indigenous rights, and that the government is already has already been trying to fight that for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's just the minimum basics, which seems so like far off 
of like, oh, all of those things aren't going to be implemented. Mm-hmm. But to acknowledge that that is still just the basics. We're not even there. There, right? Like, we don't even know what's beyond Andre. We yes. don't even know what's beyond, like, we, we talk about uh, notions of sovereignty and self-determination and, and figuring out those things and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But we're not even there on the basic level. Yeah. Um, moving forward... We want the youth to be able to feel equipped and to feel confident and um, and have that ability, capability to do that work mm-hmm. uh, of figuring what that is. And, you know, we have to make sure that they are equipped with their identity and their culture and their language, all those fundamental bases, their rights, um, so that we can flourish and we can grow and beyond just survival and beyond just constant state of oppression mm-hmm. like we don't know what it's like to not be oppressed like yeah. that is a huge reality that we all have to live with for the like pretty much our whole lives even even like for me my relationship with money mm-hmm. like i don't have a good really i mean now i do mm-hmm. but before i didn't have a good relationship with money because it was that was something that just went as soon as you got it yeah you know, so I never grew up with how do you manage money? What you know, like all these all these skills that I need as an adult, and I had to figure that out myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, and even just the the feeling of deserving, you know, like I I des- I deserve to live in a nice house. I don't have to live in the hood. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't have to. I can I can live a, a life where I can put fresh flowers on my dining table every week you know like I can have it's okay to have that life yeah. you know um but yeah I one thing I want to ask you is you in the last couple of years have put yourself out there and I know there's a lot of challenges that come with putting yourself out there and being that strong voice mm. what are some of the experiences you've had uh and or challenges you've had and how have you overcome those things? Hmm. That's a good one. Cause I, I do talk about it with some of my close friends, uh, who, you know, have also been involved or, um, can kind of understand or even like when my relationships with people, like, uh, having these conversations with my partner who's non-indigenous, um, and trying to explain a little bit more about how, for them, it's like, oh, you're this idol um, in the community um, versus like, okay, well, do you know, understand like what idolization actually impacts somebody's ability to feel or like what their self-esteem is like? Um, you know, I always try to make sure that my ego is in check and try to stay humble. I, you know, constantly self-reflecting on my words um, how I per- how my body language is to people sometimes like there's always this constant um, self awareness mm-hmm. that I have to constantly live with, mm-hmm. um, and you know, not like if I'm having a bad day and I come across somebody on the street and they're like having the greatest day and they they, they see me and they're like oh they want to say all these things like uh, of what they're excited about and. Like try not to like let some your negative energy you know be come out mm-hmm. in some way. Like mm-hmm. you want to appreciate everyone, um, but sometimes it's like hard to how do you deal with your own personal things mm-hmm. um, when you're seen as like dealing with like community things. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you have conversations within your family while trying to you know 
you don't want to be a hypocrite and talk about certain things that are happening in society or in the, or the in the community um, while there's still things happening in your own personal life. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out that balance between the two yeah. of how much attention am I putting in for community advocacy advocacy work and how much work am I actually putting in into um, you know fixing relationships within my family or um, righting wrongs that I've done previous relationships because of trauma mm-hmm. you know things like that constantly reflecting on that and figuring out what my role is um, as you know a person within the community with somebody that's just like I also want to live the life that I envision for myself and mm-hmm. what does that look like in tandem um, some issues that I like I come up with or like I face like I try to not let it impact other things as best as I possibly can um, you know I've because of my trauma the things that I've gone through I don't want that to impact other people I don't want that to impact people my family or my relationships and so I try to do that healing um, as best as I possibly can and as frequent as I possibly can figuring out what triggers me and addressing that mm-hmm. you know when I'm anxious trying to understand where the anxiety is coming from um, when I get into deep depths of depression because I'm being like bombarded with so many negative news mm-hmm. that's happening over and over again like okay should I limit my use on social media now mm-hmm. like trying to figure out what's a healthy way of um, addressing a lot of things that are very negative a lot of the times um, that happen um, because of you know colonialism because of oppression because of racism but then r- trying to figure out what fulfills me in my life mm-hmm. um, is the relationship aspect the family um, you know my hobbies um, things like doing things that are um, also addressing oppression but are actually fun mm-hmm. so like trying to find that balance and I found that Red Rising was my my outlet in a lot of ways where I was able to address a lot of those things by giving people voice and hearing their voices just fed me so much. Um, That's how I feel about Solomon Spectrum. Exactly, right? (laughs) It's like finding that outlet that is like fulfilling by also addressing a lot of the the negative. Yeah. So I had to learn not to drown myself in the negative. Mm, It's still, it's so hard. It is hard. It's It's a struggle and it's something to learn all the time. Yep, yeah. But... um, I started reading more books like that was my my way of um, decompressing a lot of my thoughts that are just like all over the place mm-hmm. and, um, so yeah I, I was reading um, Richard Wagamese's book uh, One Story One Song and it's really beautiful I highly recommend it um, he's got another book that just came out um, and is it, it's a poem it, book yeah I yeah. think um, the new one that he's come came out um what was the first one called? There was like, there was, I think it was called Fire Embers. Um, he's got like f- several books. Like oh, some of them are okay. like storybooks. Some of them are like poetry, poetry books. Okay. Yeah. So I have a mixture of both. Um, but they're like, I guess he was working on a book just before he passed away. And um, that had just been released. And so I'm super excited. I want to read that. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a lot of balance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Thank you for sharing all that, by the way. Uh, 
we have some signature questions here at Soul Unexpected. And uh, so the first one is, because we're all about soul, <laughs> even though we talk about, we cover some, some of the stuff that we, you know, a lot of people are intimidated to, um, but we are about soul here. What does it mean to have soul to you? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does it mean to have soul? I think it's just when you get to that place of feeling very happy, um, like that happiness that you have, like what, what makes you happy and, and filling your life with it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's people, um, you know, family members and uh, doing those things that like fulfill you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you walk down the street and you're full of pride and confidence and just like today is going to be a great day and there's nothing that can bother me. And if it does, then I can deal with it. I know I can do it. Um, and not having to feel like that looming cloud, I guess. And so for me, it's just like feeling in a good place, um, with where you're at in life and being grateful for, you know, yourself and all the struggles that you'd gone through Mm. to get you there. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, now if you could speak to your 16 year old self, what would you say? (laughs) Um, it's like really deep, but it doesn't end when you want it. If that makes sense. Like, I was going through a very tough time when I was 15, 16. And, um, you know, I'd been, like, on the streets and stuff like that. And basically just wanted all the hurt to end. Mm. When you wanted it to. When I wanted it to end. Mm -hmm. And to know that, like, that's not the end of the story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't end when you want it to end. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. And lastly, if you're a queen for the day, or just a badass matriarch, which you are, what would you do? Um, can we say that again? <laughs> <laughs> like, all I was matriarch, I'm like, matriarch, matriarch, matriarch. <laughs> if you were queen for the day, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> what would you do? Um... <laughs> All the power I only in the world. Get, I only get one what day. You, I know, right? <laughs> uh, oh, that's so difficult. There'd be so many things. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a matriarch every day, so <laughs> it would just be a regular day. <laughs> but you had all the power in the world. Okay. All the power in the world. Oh, then I would, like, fix the fossil fuel industry for sure. Um, And, like, and fund all the community things that need to happen. Um, You know, fulfill all of our rights. Uh, Figure education, housing, all the basics. Mm. Yeah, and make sure that... um, Then afterwards, after my day, everyone's like, okay, we can start, like, living! (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy this now. Yeah. Let's <laughs> make everyone's problems go away. Yeah. All the depression go away. And 
Yes. That would, would that be, be something? Sure. I, 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 people probably wonder why I asked that question. I asked that question uh, because I, I, I just feel like there's so much power in, in, I feel like we are futuristic beings, that we have mm-hmm. the power to be able to even just envision ourselves and put it out into the ether and see what happens mm-hmm. with all this envisioning of ourselves in this interesting place. That we all hope to go to one day. <laughs> yes. Um, if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, where can they find you? Uh, Facebook, uh, Sadie Phoenix Lavoy. Hyphenate the Sadie Phoenix, though. It's not my last Phoenix isn't my last name. Um, and Instagram, Sadie Phoenix. And Red Rising. And Red Rising, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sadie, for coming on and chatting with me and sharing all your knowledge. Yeah, it was really fun. I appreciate it. And listeners, to learn more about Sadie, you can head over to the show notes where we'll have her all her information listed. And of course, if you want to learn more about the Soul Unexpected movement, head over to AdelineBird.com. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, what are you waiting for? Download that, download this podcast. Oh my goodness, I can't talk. Download this podcast, subscribe, and share the goodness with your friends. And as always, Soul Family, we are all in this 